Fantastic. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Bill. We've heard from Nehemiah. We've heard from Revelation. So our third sermon this morning will be from the book of Titus. So I invite you to turn there as well with me. As you may remember from last time, we were just beginning this series that I am partaking in, a series looking through the book of Titus. And if you remember some of the context of the book, we looked at the first four verses, the introduction, the greeting. And in this letter, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to his fellow friend, his true child, as he called him, in verse 3, named Titus. Remember, majority of what we know about Titus is actually found in, in 2 Corinthians, um, as Pastor Jeff has been taking us through. And Paul often mentions with great affection his servant, faithful servant, Titus. So much so that he decides to, to leave Titus on the little island of Crete out in the middle of the Mediterranean. And he is there to set this church in order. He is there to appoint elders. He is there to establish the church on this little island. And so Paul's letter to us in the book of Titus is all of his instructions with regards to the work and the ministry that is to be completed there. This letter is intensely practical, but also intensely theological. And so we will continue there this morning, and I invite you to read along with me. Titus 1, we're reading the four, first four verses. It says, Paul a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of the chosen, the elect of God, the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ago. But at the proper time, manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted, according to the commandment of God our Saviour, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. If you remember last time, we began looking at Paul's personal example and how his personal example in ministry is to be reflected in our life. His mission, Paul's mission, personal mission, was to bring the elect to saving faith by the gospel He wanted to bring the saved to sanctification by teaching them with the full knowledge of God through the sound doctrine that would ultimately lead them through to godliness. And thirdly, he was was wanting to make crystal clear in their minds the reality of eternal life, that great and glorious hope that motivates us towards purity and strengthens us in times of struggle and suffering. That was the sum of Paul's life. He was committed to God's mission. He was committed to to the gospel, to growth in godliness, and living in light of the hope that is ultimately eternal life. This morning I want to look again at those truths, but this time on a bigger scale. I want to simply look at the who, what, and how of our ministry here at New Community Church. You may or may not be aware that in this last fortnight, we have just celebrated our three years of being in this building here on Montague Road. Three years. It felt like only yesterday to me that we were packing the trailers down at Parafield Gardens, trying to sort out all the stuff that we had accumulated over the time, put it all in the car, put it all in the trailer and and head up here to our new little building. 
three years and here we are today. We are looking, we are evaluating, we are seeing what the Lord has done and we are praying about what he will do next through us here at New Community Church. We are, if you like, finishing up one stage of our ministry, our first three-year tenure, and now we are looking ahead, looking ahead to see what's next. And as we do this, what better time to ask some questions of evaluation about ourselves here and our ministries in New Community Church. In fact, I think it's vital for us as a church to go through a stage of evaluation and examination. We need to ask ourselves, what is it we're about here at New Community Church? What is our focus? What is our goal? And how do we go about getting there? When we think about evaluating a church, it can be hard sometimes to know what to measure up against. You know, there's, when it comes to church, there's, there can be different things to evaluate ourselves on. I mean, you think about other fields or other life endeavours. Think about sports. In sports, we know what we're aiming for. You're aiming to win the game. You're aiming for par. You're aiming for tries. You're aiming for runs. Whatever it is, you keep score. And ultimately, at the end of the game, someone won and someone lost. And based upon that, you can evaluate yourself through it. If you're an academic, you're aiming for excellence in your field. You're aiming, you, you begin with your bachelor's, you move on to your master's, you head into your doctrine, your doctorate, and, and you, you're aiming to be the greatest in your field. And you can, you can evaluate yourself based on where you are on that ladder. If you're in business, it's all about the bottom line. You want to be making profits. You, don't, you want to be watching your margin. You want to be aware of, of the economy and, and how things are changing. All things that can be evaluated and ultimately your performance can be checked off against these things. But when it comes to, to ministry, what, what things do we have? What, what can we base our evaluation on? That one seems to be harder to answer. I was, I was reading an article this week and it said, in relation to evaluation, when it comes to church evaluation, it is, easy, it is easy to gravitate towards the three B's. That is, the budget, the building, and bins, standing for bums in seats. And uh, that makes sense. Those things can be easy to evaluate ourselves on. They're all number-related things. How's your church doing? Oh, we're doing great. We've, we made budget this week. Hey, have you seen our new building program? It's fantastic. You know, we're going strong. Oh, and by the way, we had 221 new people attend our church this last month. Now, there's a fantastic and legitimate use for numbers. Those numbers in a budget, in a good budget, hopefully they represent new ministries or new missionaries within the church, a healthy church. People sitting in on a service, more bums in the seats, Hopefully that, that represents people being saved, people being brought to the Lord and, and coming into communion with one another in a, in, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. But numbers alone and budget alone cannot and should never be our sole standard or even the first standard of our ministry. You only have to open your eyes and look up and down the street here and you will see churches that have big ticks in all the three B's. Churches that are making their budget each week, churches in brand new buildings, churches that uh, continually have new people coming in and, out of their, in and out of their fellowship. But I wonder, is the Lord pleased with that ultimately? 
I'm sure there are very small churches out there who've never heard of their pastor, you've never heard of their ministries, but the Lord is exceedingly pleased with them. So numbers can be helpful, but we need something besides numbers to base our evaluation on. Some churches, they have schools, some have daycares, political involvement, Bible colleges. Some have a great building in a new part of town where all the hip young Christians go to hang out for that entertainment type worship service. And these can be very worthwhile endeavours for a church, but over the time they can become the sole reason or the sole purpose for their existence. Building programs that started out for the glory of God soon become all entrenching, all involved, uh, soon become all that the church is about. As we at New Community look to the future, we are to ask the question, what are we doing? What is it that we are about here at this church? And I have three questions I believe to be fundamental in this evaluation, and I think Paul answers them here in the book of Titus. Again, you look at this passage and you think, well... Alex, I think, if you read it, it just says, Hi, I'm Paul, Titus, I like you, grace and peace. And yes, if you read it quickly, that's what it says. But there's so much more to that here in this passage. We see not only Paul's personal motivation, but Paul is giving his understanding of Christian mission, of Christian, of Christian ministry. He's laying out, this is what I'm about in ministry. And likewise, he's saying to Titus, this is what you ought to be about, Titus. And to the church today of Jesus Christ, he is saying, this is what we are to be about. Three foundational questions for us to ask as we evaluate us as a church. Who, what and how? Who is our ministry for? What is our ministry about? And how do we go about it? Three questions, who, what and how? This made my PowerPoint super easy this week. (laughs) Firstly, number one, who is our ministry for? Look at verse one. Paul says, he is a servant of God. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith. And here's the who. It is the faith of the elect. Ephesians 1.4 says, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. John 6.44, Jesus says, no one can come to the Father or can come to me unless the Father draws him. So yes, these words can sometimes be scary. Words like predestined or, or elect or, or chosen. These are biblical words right here in front of us. And this concept goes throughout the entire scriptures. You think of Abram. Abram is a pagan over in Babylon. And God, through nothing that Abraham has done in and of himself, says, you, yep, I'm going to make you the father. I'm going to make you the father of my nation and I'm going to make you the father of my people. He brings, and so he brings them, Ishmael. He's taken Ishmael and Isaac and says, Isaac, you're the one. Isaac and Rebekah have twins, Jacob and Esau. It's not going to be Esau, it's going to be Jacob. And on and on it goes. Moses is handpicked by God. He looks at all of Jesse's children and says, nope, 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 I'm going to take that one. I'm going to take David. I'm going to choose David. God being sovereign in the work of his people to choose an entire nation to serve him. And by his spirit, he draws irresistibly people to himself. So Paul says, who am I working for? I labor for God's elect, those whom God has chosen, those who are his people. Now, as soon as we mention election, as soon as we go down and talk about the doctrine of election, 
Straight away, you get, you get people that will say, well, what about, are you going to get feelings of elitism? Or you're going to get selfishness? You're going to get this church that is all about the holy huddle, the frozen chosen, all about each other and, and not looking outward. I can see very easily how people can come to that conclusion when we think about the doctrine of election. It can be easy to, to go down that way if we are using our own human logic. But if we use the Bible's logic in relation to election... God's word is our final authority and we had to use God's word to shape our understanding on it. You may recall the story in Acts chapter 18 and if you'd like just to turn with me there quickly, Acts chapter 18. Paul is doing missionary work up in Corinth and he's feeling pretty discouraged about it all. He's, he's pretty much ready, he's at the stage where he's ready to throw in the towel. He's had enough. He's been there for six months and he's ready to give up. But then we read in verses 9 and 10, follow along with me, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. No man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Essentially, God's saying, No, 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 wait, Paul. I've got people here. There are my chosen in this city and I need you to continue to uh, minister to them that they might respond to your message in faith. God is using the doctrine of election here to dissuade Paul, not to dissuade Paul from missions, but to give him energy and enthusiasm to keep at the mission. There are people here. There are people, my people in this city, Paul. I would like you to keep ministering there. I love that, that quote from John Newton. He says, to paraphrase, If I did not believe in the doctrine of election, I might as well be preaching to horses and cows every Sunday. And what he means by this, essentially, is that what hope would I have for a response? What hope would we have that this foolishness of our preaching would take root in someone's life if it were not for God's divine intention to bring them to the understanding of the gospel? We weren't just made to, to live and to enjoy this life. The only reason we are still here at this time is because the building is not yet complete. Think about that. Not all of God's chosen have come to faith. But the once they do, once the building is ready, off we go. The Lord won't mess around. So what greater motivation then does that give us to serve him? I know people have a hard time coming to grips with the doctrine of election. It raises many issues and this is not the sermon or the place to, to address all those. But I simply want to preach what the text says and in doing so point out this. I want you to feel encouraged. I want you to see how heartening the doctrine of election can be for our Christian ministries. Whether at work or at uni or at home with your children, whatever it is that seems hopeless with such resistance to the gospel, this verse tells us that there is hope. Some will believe. You don't think God has any of his elect people there? We don't know. We do not know who the elect are. It ought to be heartening and heartening encouragement for us. There are people there. If you and I are faithful to the word of God, there are people that will respond. They will become Christians. They will be baptized. God has appointed them to eternal life before we were born. Be encouraged this ministry is not just outside the church to, in, in evangelism, but it also involves ministry inside the church. In church we have relationships, we have people, we have issues. 
I remember somebody saying once, church ministry would be wonderful if it weren't for all the people. But you know, that, that's just a part of life. People and relationships and issues within the church are part of life. We have difficulties and we have hardships. Sin is so stubborn. And as you're ministering, you feel like this is just pointless. But then you can remember, ah, I'm laboring for God's elect and that ultimately does not depend on me. How refreshing that should be for us. And in those he has chosen, he implants his spirit, he gives them the gift of faith, he joins them to Christ and slowly, sometimes imperceptibly, he changes them. God has guaranteed their justification, their sanctification and their final glorification. So your work and my work is to be faithful with the work that God has given us, knowing that we do not labour ultimately in vain. I think this issue as well, the, the doctrine of election can can help us avoid some sloppy thinking. And I, I know I've been guilty of this before. When it comes to church ministry, often we think all, it's all about people outside the church. We, we often say, you know, ministry is all about, about other people. It's, it's outward. And I know, I know what people mean by that. They, they want to get across the idea that, that we are to be active in our community, active in bringing people to Christ. But it's not entirely a biblical concept. Paul doesn't say, I labour for everybody except those in church. He says, I labour for God's elect. So, church is for church. Yes, we minister here, but we also minister to those outside. It prevents us from saying, well, what we're really about is everybody else out there and shame on you for caring about folks here in church. Shame on you for having friends at church. Shame on you for trying to meet the needs here. Because that's not biblical. God's elect means that the elect are not just here amongst us, but they are out there as well. And we need to have an active balance between the two, in ministering to both of them. We need to have a balanced approach to evangelism as well as a ministry amongst our own brothers and sisters as the doctrine of election motivates us to do that. So who are we ministering for? It is for the sake of God's elect. Are we doing that at this church? Are we ministering into one another's hearts and lives? Are we active in our ministry in proclaiming the gospel? Are we active in, in sharing and, and, and encouraging and edifying one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? We minister to the elect, those known to us and those unknown. Secondly, our second point this morning, what is our ministry all about? What is our ministry all about? You're familiar with the, the language of faith, hope and love in 1 Corinthians. But Paul here, in his passage this morning, says his ministry is about faith, hope and knowledge. He's not saying love is any less, but it is about faith, hope and knowledge. And he begins by saying in verse 1 that his ministry is for the sake of the faith of God's elect. That is, he ministers so that those who do not know Christ would come to faith and those who believe in him would increase in their faith. And both are just as important as each other. Many of us need to consider this come to faith dimension of our ministry. When you think about the ministry you're doing, whether it's ministry at work or, or at Sunday school or it's home group, Bible study, whatever you think of, whatever, whatever ministry you're involved in, you are aiming, you are praying for people to come to faith, to come to know Jesus Christ. And I hope that this is on your radar screen. We are laboring, we are working 
and believing that the elect are there and believing that they will come to a saving faith. I find it very interesting. Quite often in, in, in ministry we, we think of this call to faith. It's important for us to be calling others to faith. Not some kind of altar call or, or set routine, but we are to call people to faith. There's a big difference between sharing the gospel and preaching just about the gospel or talking just about the gospel. There's a difference between talking about the gospel and ultimately sharing the gospel in somebody's heart and life. An example of that would be if, if I were here and I was preaching on, on Peter's denial, if I were just preaching about the gospel, you know, I'd say sometimes we, we deny Christ, but the good news is Jesus died for sinners and he can, he can forgive the sins of those who deny him like Peter. And that's all wonderfully true facts. But preaching the gospel goes one step further and says, you and I are sinners and we have denied Christ. And like Peter, we continue to deny Jesus. But as Peter does, will you look at Christ? Will you come to Christ and find rest in Christ alone? Not just speaking about true things, but summoning, calling, pleading, imploring. That's what makes true preaching. Pressing home the claims of Christ, calling people out to faith. And we see an example here in Titus. Titus was a Gentile. From, and we know that from Acts 16 and Galatians 2. Yet here, Paul calls him his child, true child in the faith. Paul can say, he is my child in a common faith. Even the Apostle Paul, I am on equal footing with my spiritual son. You know, one thing in ministry, do you realize that we're not, we're not just to make servants, but we make, we're to make partners as well? It can be hard for any of us mentoring folks to be able to make that transition from raising one up and having spiritual children, but then to become partners alongside with them in a common faith. Not just working in a line, but we're working side by side with each other. Part of that being saved to serve and part of that serving, when you get the faith, you pass it on. 2 Timothy 2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will teach others also. You receive the faith, pass it on. What are we about here at NCC? We're about faith, bringing people to faith and increasing the faith of those amongst us. Are we doing this actively here at New Community Church? So Paul says we're aiming for faith. But we're also aiming for knowledge, knowledge of the truth. John 17 says, Jesus prays, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You know, one of the unique things about Christianity is that it has boundaries. There are certain things we say, no, that's, that's not right. We believe this and we don't believe this. There is truth, there's error, there's doctrines and there's heresies. It's amazing how many people complain. Quite often from inside the church as well, Christians will complain. We should be less concerned about doctrine. We should be less concerned about theological orthodoxy. And we should be more accepting of others. How often is this trend amongst the church even today? What they're really saying by that is Christianity, I wish Christianity was something other than Christianity. The Christian faith is one that has boundaries. And we have to be passionate about that. We have to be passionate about the truth. We have to be passionate about what we believe and know to be true. 
That passion doesn't mean that we all have to have advanced degrees or, or love reading systematic theology books. But it does mean that we are understanding the importance of loving the Lord your God with all your heart or your soul or your strength and all your mind. You are commanded to love the Lord, God, the Lord your God with all your mind. You are to try and learn, try and grow, try and think, try and see God's truth where we can see it. We of all people ought to care about the truth. We as a church are to labour so that we can have a knowledge of the truth. But with truth comes great responsibility. Hand in hand with truth is this knowledge of the truth, as you can see in verse 2, which is according to godliness. We are a people, we are a church that is to be all about truth, all about knowledge which accords with godliness. If you separate knowledge or theology from piety, you get hypocrisy. And hypocrisy always becomes fertile ground for apathy and apostasy. Unfortunately, that's just how it works. John Stott says, Any doctrine which does not promote godliness is manifestly bogus. Any profession of the truth that does not lead an individual to live a godly life to one degree or another is just a mere profession. We are called to be passionate for truth, passionate about the gospel, but we are to be equally passionate about the pursuit of godliness. Our theology should make us more kind, more humble, more generous, more caring, more sacrificial, more joyful, more pure, more patient, more loving. Any changes in the Christian life that will be lasting changes must be theological. It must come through the knowledge of the truth or it is not lasting. If you want to have deeper, better affections for Christ, a deeper experience of God, you need to be serious about your knowledge of the truth. Are we at NCC active in sharing this knowledge of the truth? And is this knowledge of the truth reflected in our day-to-day lives? Paul says, faith, knowledge and now hope. What is our ministry about? It is about hope. Out of faith, knowledge and hope, I believe hope is something that we struggle with the most, not that we don't believe in eternal life, but that we don't seem to fully grasp the concept. It does not grip us. Yes, there is a life to be lived now, but our greater reward is yet to come. Think about everything in our culture that wants to avoid death. Healthcare, one of the few sectors in our economy that continues to grow. People are getting older, but people want to live longer. People exercise, people diet, people want to look younger. What about the passion that people have for social injustice? People look out there at these, these kids in Africa or in India and being sold into slavery and people say, that's not right. And it's because of this inbuilt thing within us that understands that we are made in the image of God. We are wired to know that there is something wrong with the way that that stuff happens. Death is not the way that God designed the world. And so the best news of all is that we can have and we do have eternal life when we are saved through Jesus Christ. My life, your life is so short. Only yesterday I felt like I was running around in nappies and now I'm changing them. That happened very quickly. Life is short. I love what Randy Elkhorn says. You either live for the dot or you live for the line. Your life is a dot, just a point in time. Eternity is the line that never ends. So many people of us, we live for the dot. It's the most tragic thing in the whole world. 
The Bible says we are to have the hope of eternal life. Some of us too much, hope too much in our families, in our wealth, in our education. How foolish when God gives us a much greater assurance, a much greater hope. Verse 3, the God who never lies promised before the ages began. You want something that's sure, something that's solid, a hope that does not disappoint? God in eternity past had you in mind and promised, I want you to live with me forever in Christ. What an awesome assurance that is. What an awesome hope. Finally, our last question this morning. We've had, who is our ministry for? It is for God's elect. What are we about in our ministry here at church? We're about faith, the knowledge of hope, the knowledge of the truth. We're about hope of eternal life. Now how? How are we to do this? How are we to do our ministry here at New Community Church? Paul says, verse 3, At the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching which I have been trusted by the command of God our Saviour. Paul labours for the elect. His elect is to the end that they would have faith, knowledge and hope. And here's how he does it. Here's how it makes it all possible. It is manifested through his word, through preaching. Isn't that amazing? This, this hope that is planned and promised before the, the beginning of time and God chooses to reveal it through a man speaking? I've, you would have thought God would have waited to the 20th century. He could have made a movie about the redemptive plan. He could have had the internet. He just would have been out there like that. Reveal it. Show to the world the redemptive plan of Christ. But God says, no. Nah, I'm going to do it through preaching. I'm going to do it with the word, with just a human man speaking. You know, have you noticed that churches get weird when they deviate from preaching being at the, the heart of the church? Only this week I was listening to Life FM and they were talking about this new type of church service called Messy Church. I'm not even kidding. This is here in Adelaide. Messy Church involves people coming in sharing coffee, and then doing finger painting in church. You think that's a great kids' activity. No, it's actually an adult activity, and it's happening. Churches all around us, these churches believe that it's a fantastic idea just to sit and do finger painting about stories, essentially. But Paul here, he says he's been entrusted with preaching and he's been commanded by God to do so. God our Saviour commanded us to be preaching. I think one of the greatest ailments in the church today, and may it never be in this church, is a lost confidence in the Word of God. So much of what ails the church, what causes them to run after gimmicks, gadgets, and put all of their energy and resources into lesser things, is a lost confidence in the Word of God. Isn't it easy to get discouraged in ministry sometimes? Whatever ministry you're doing, you can look at the culture of the world. You can see those that are ranked with unbelief, the challenge of Islam. You can see the conflict in your own life. You can see the sin that you battle with in your own life. Lord, what do we have against all of that? What hope do we have? What, what assurance do we have? God says, I'll give you one thing. I'll give you the word of God and we can preach it. We can preach it together. You say, well, you know, Alex, I'm not a preacher. I don't, I'm not, I don't have an active preaching ministry. Yeah, but we're all ministers of the word, right? 
somebody calls you at 2 a.m. in the morning and says, look, I'm sick, my husband, I've got marital conflict. What a great opportunity for you then to minister to the word into that person's heart and life. Are you confident? Are you willing? Would you be willing to risk everything on the power of God's word? We will do our ministry at New Community Church from the front to the back and everywhere in between saying that if God cannot build this church with your word, then we will fail. We will have nothing else to bank on, no other gimmick. We have nothing else to go on but the truth of God's word. And we're going to speak it, we're going to pray it, we're going to preach it, we're going to sing it. Let us be committed to the continual preaching of God's word. Let us be committed to reading God's word in our lives. Let us be committed to those missionaries, those organisations who do the best to sow the seed of the word of God. How do we go about our ministries? We have to be a church that stands firm on the word of God, stands firm on the centrality of preaching, stands firm on ministering the word into the lives of the elect. So where do we stand? Where do I stand? As a church, where do we stand? As we begin this next phase here at at New Community Church, as we look ahead to see what the Lord would have us do, let us be continually checking ourselves off against these three simple fundamental questions. Who do we minister to? What is our ministry about? And how do we go about it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we find rest in the gospel. Our justification, Lord, is by faith and faith alone. Our hope is Christ, his work. Our confidence is in the word. Let us as a church always be a beacon for the word. We thank you, Father, for the past three years this church has been by your grace. But we look now to the future, to this new season of ministry. Let us be committed as ever to the word, ministering into the lives of your people. And in all these things, we ask for your help. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.